0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer.
0: Bibby has the open shot. Yeah! Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting
2: five for your...
1: Welcome into the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Of course, we are brought to you by Price Picks, and we are a Blue Wire podcast. So thanks for joining us uh, today. No Brendan Nunes, but we do have Fox 40, Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you?
2: I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all things considered, I think, uh, I think I've had a nice, relaxing start to the week kind of getting things ramped up and uh, all of a sudden super busy again, even with the Kings on the road, finding a lot of stuff to, to stay busy with. So yeah, things are good. Got my podcast candle today. We went with the, uh, oh, well, we don't have Brennan here today, so I know you don't have a candle, but mahogany balsam uh, in it. That's a good one. Oh.
1: That's a fragrant oh. candle. Yeah, oh. Does good. it smell of, of rich, of, rich, of mahogany. rich mahogany and old books? <laughs> Uh, nice. Uh, Brendan is away. He's got uh some family business he has to take care of this weekend. We're gonna give him a free pass. This is, you know, one of those ones he uh, unfortunately have to deal with sometimes. So, uh, well wishes to Brendan and and his family. Um, but uh, Sean and I are here. Uh, Sean, the miracle of all miracles happened. Uh, I don't know how it happened. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Last night. It happened, you saw the Sean.
2: golden globes. You saw the golden globes. And that is
1: not what happened. Oh, oh no. I won prize huh. picks, Sean. Oh, liar. liar. <laughs> <Yes, laughs> I won. I won. <laughs> I won. Uh I picked uh, I had a, a, a six pick. I selected um all kinds of good stuff, which usually doesn't work out for me. Um, I was a bit derailed by the fact that uh Kevin Herter missed uh went out in the first quarter which i'm sure we'll get to um but uh you know when anytime that happens on prize picks one of the good things is that you don't just lose because you selected a player that got injured uh it actually just reboots and you get to keep playing um with a little asterisk that you now have five selections instead of six um Anyway, uh, Sean, uh, Demona Sabonis, over four free throws made. He had five. Okay. Keegan Murray, over 0.5 dunks. He had oh, one Oh, you dunk. like that one. You like that one. I love it. It's it's only failed me once, uh, okay. which uh, everything else has failed me way more than once. Oh, sure. Uh, I chose more on Malik Monk with points and assists, which was set at 22.5. He finished oh, with 24. Got that. Trey Lyles, 7.5 points, finished with eight. That pair of free throws late. Ooh, and then, close. And then I, Terry Rozier. Scary Terry. Free throws made was set at four. He had seven. Ding, ding, oh, ding. yeah. So um, it, I, it's a flex play. So I actually did really well um, hitting all five that were remaining after Kevin Herter got hurt. And sort of the the reboot happened um, there, but uh, yeah, I'm having a good time. Sean, Price Picks is fun. So if you guys were out there, uh, most of the time I, I do not fare well, uh, but this was a good day. Uh, so my uh, I now have more to play with down the road. Um, so if you're interested in price Picks, you can go down below in the description we have a link uh use the password king's beat all one word i believe that's what the password is um if it doesn't work sure, huh? don't blame me but i think that that's what it is so uh either way i had a good time i know that people have a good time making in fun of me for being so bad at price picks uh but it just adds a little bit to each and every night when you're playing so Let's get to uh, a couple other things. Um, number one, if you're watching here on YouTube, uh, give us a thumbs up if you don't mind. Subscribe to the channel. We would like to do a live show, but it's in the middle of the day. We don't do live shows during the middle of the day. Uh, brandon has gone a little off, but we are uh, getting together after Sacramento Kings came off of back-to-back wins on the road. Uh, first of all, it's the first time this season that they've won both of the back-to-backs, so that's a Christmas miracle. Um... It's also Christmas. Yes. Yeah, it's it's only the 11th, second time. Buddy. Yeah, exactly. It's only the second time that they've won the second game of a back-to-back. So all of a sudden, uh, maybe they're turning the tide after starting and four on the second night of back-to-backs. Uh, let's see. Last saying, um, if you're watching here, you know, thumbs up, uh, but also jump on board with the Kings beat, go to the Kingsbeat.com, become a premium subscriber to get access to everything that we do here at the Kings beat. Um, yeah, we've been sending out a lot of stuff now, Sean, um, let's start with the Kevin Herter thing. I mean, we're going to get into both these games, but Kevin Herter on Tuesday night regains his starting job over Chris Duarte, uh, a five or six game sample size for Chris Duarte did not go well. And so Mike Brown made the switch back to Kevin Herter, man. Have you ever seen a player get hurt that quickly in a game?
2: No, I, not, that, not that I can think of. And and I know that, um, you know, I was out on an assignment. So I was uh, listening to a good portion of it on the radio and then went back and tried to watch through social media clips. I still don't think I've seen where it happens. I know we were talking and you mentioned that he may have backpedaled and stepped on someone's foot Um I ultimately thought even before seeing it that he must have, you know, this happens when you get older. Sometimes you just take a bad step. Not that you've turned your ankle or anything like that, but you're trying to maybe shake off some pain that that happens in your ankle, or your foot or your heel or whatever. And um, thought that maybe something like that had happened and was hoping it may not be like a, you know, stress fracture or anything like that. Um, you know, you've seen some weird things happen in both football and baseball over the years, but no, I mean in basketball that was a that was about about as an odd one as it as it comes so um but hearing you know obviously that he'll be questionable going into uh Friday's game in Philadelphia. they're calling it a left uh a left ankle sprain, so um, yeah, I guess we'll just see what happens there, but uh you know tough timing for him after he was able to crack the rotation and uh kind of come back into the starter starting five, and it kind of came off of a game where you know. We talk about some of these blowouts and how even in these blowout losses, it, it ends up being some uh, opportunity for guys to maybe get right a little bit. And I thought certainly that that Pelicans debacle was a game where if you had to choose a bright spot, he might have been one of them because he goes six of 10 shooting, you know, 17 points. I think it was Um the, the three balls still a little bit tough out there for him. But, um, I, I even asked him right before the, you know, we went on the road trip in the locker room. If, if that was maybe a silver lining, he wasn't taking any of that. Um, you, you know, he, he hated that loss and that, 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 that loss certainly had a lingering effect on, on that locker room. So, um, but it, certainly it was something in the grand scheme of things to say, Hey, you saw the, you saw the ball go down and, and hopefully that can carry over into the road trip. And, um, you know, obviously, seeing him in the in, in that starting five for Detroit, Mike Brown was able to reward him for that, and uh, was hoping to see him get a go in Charlotte as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so, from what I've I've seen, like I've watched, like it's just, like this is a pruder film. Like we've seen so many <laughs> angles now, it's like either that or it's more like the Seinfeld version of. Um, but uh, the tip off happens. The ball gets knocked into the back court where Terry Rogier goes and gets it. By the time they pan the camera around and he crosses half court, Kevin Herter already hopping on one foot. And you're like, what in the world happened?
0: Someone and then,
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it totally bizarre. So uh, he actually, the ball goes up. Uh, like He ends up, well, I, I guess they go back to the other end of the court. Um, he tries to play through it, but instantly fouls and stops the game and goes straight to the locker room. I think it was like 46 seconds into the game. There's another angle that I found where as the tip goes up, it gets knocked into the backcourt. Kevin Herter goes to backpedal out of the circle. You know, everyone lines up around the circle for the tip off and he steps on Keegan Murray's foot, who is also backpedaling. And it happens like that quick, just rolls his ankle really quick. It didn't even look like it was that serious. So, I'm a little confused how like that could happen, how you could be that injured. But we had it like a couple of games before where Trey Lyles was backpedaling down court and got injured out of nowhere. And so uh, hopefully Kevin Herger is, uh, is quickly on the mend. Um, the Kings need him to figure it out. Uh, Sean mentioned the Detroit game. Uh, he did pick up the start in that game. He still can't hit his three-point shot at all. But I thought despite that, five rebounds, five assists, he's at least trying to figure out how to, how to help the team. And then the, the Chris Duarte situation, I don't even know really how to explain it other than to tell you that, you know, we had the, he gets the start and, and everything looks good right off the bat. You know, he's, he's super active. He has a game where he goes out and he grabbed uh well, he scored 12 points, grabbed seven rebounds, right. And of those seven rebounds, four of them were offensive and of those four, he put three of them back in for a layup, uh, and so he was being able to create his own shot, you know, sort of like get get some things going without someone running a play for him. Um, Sean, from that moment on, uh, he went the next three games without a rebound at all. Uh, he had one assist in each of the next three games. He had zero points, ten points, and one point. And again, Mike Brown pulled the plug. Can the Kings survive a season where their productivity out of their starters because the real true shooting guard on this team is not either one of those guys. It's it's Malik Monk this season. But can the king survive a season where you're getting very little production, not only out of that starting shooting guard position, but maybe even the starting small forward position where Harrison Barnes' stats look very similar to what I just said with Chris Duarte?
2: Yeah, I mean I I don't have an answer for that. I think that's some uncharted territory. I don't think you really truly know if you can. I think I think the disappointing thing is a lot like you know certainly you've seen uh, Kevin Herter struggle to to find his shot at various times. You've uh, the season obviously started off really terrible and you know kind of found it again. Uh, you know found a way to contribute. You mentioned the, the 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 five assists and five boards in the Detroit game, but he was James. I mean. I wrote it down a minute ago, two of 11 in that game. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, And Mike Brown was talking about guys who've struggled and guys he's replaced with and rotations. And there just hasn't been any separation. You'd like to see some guys who've played really, really well. You've seen Keon Ellis come in at times who certainly played well at various times. And um, other times he's just been kind of just out there. um, Not a, not a big, you know, separation from guys like Kevin Herter or Davion Mitchell to really truly take that take the reins and 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 hold it. You mentioned Chris Duarte, who, you know, I know he takes over. He he was a he didn't play at all in the Detroit game. Uh and then the next night, uh in Charlotte last night, you know, thought he was okay. Um didn't think didn't think he was terrific by any stretch. I mean, obviously he's not much of a scorer. They're asking him to be more of a defender. Uh, To me, it's all about him staying out of foul trouble because I do like his his activity, uh, especially on the defensive end when they're sorely needing it. So um, and his physicality, his physicality stands out as well, for sure. And, you know, Mike Brown, you know, that's one of the things that is often talked about when it comes to somebody like Trey Lyles. Now, obviously, Trey Lyles has started when he started the season, you know, three point shot has, has been there. You know, he's been pretty. Pretty productive um, since coming, you know, obviously he had a setback coming out of camp with his injury, but um, he's been a guy that you can rely on and he's helped him a lot in that regard. And I think he, Mike Brown looks at Duarte as a similar type of player where you can help the physicality as long as you're staying out of foul trouble. Don't turn the ball over. Um, hopefully being able to knock down a shot. I know Mike Brown has confidence that he can be a, a, a three-point shooter and realizing that Chris Duarte is still so very young um, that, it, that you know, it maybe hasn't gone quite as they'd envisioned, but I think he's going to take some time. Um, that's just a long-winded way to say that, that this team is, is not, in my mind, the team you're going to know come playoff time you know, um, hmm. through all their trials and tribulations, uh, to, to say that, can they survive? Well, I think they can. I mean, James, they're, they're I, I think it's the thing that is the constant struggle with this team. Like you've seen you're, you're you're sometimes you're too close to it and you see how the sausage is made and it's like, wow, you've really haven't played that well, but, but somehow you've won six of eight and you're 23 and 14 overall. Nine everybody's over 500. Right. You you get to the point where you're like, all right, what are what what are you? What do you hang your hat on? And can you survive a playoff series? Can you sustain a playoff run? Can you have these type of successes that you're hoping to have come April? And I think the answer to that, most people wouldn't even, you know, people like us who are covering the team is no, you probably don't have the ultimate faith that that this will work in a playoff series. But here we are at twenty-three and fourteen certainly understanding that they have their flaws um certainly knowing that that this front office is going to go out there and do things to to try and make it better but to your point to your original question can they survive it they are surviving it um so that's why that's why i don't know um fortunately they've had some some big pieces continue to be star players um De'Aaron fox for the majority of the season has looked like an all-star. I know he's kind of hit a little bit of a skid here of late um, and and not looking like De'Aaron Fox that we've known for to be this 30 point score and getting out and running. And he kind of looks a little bit hobbled at times. Uh, but Demonis Sabonis is playing in a, in a, just a incredible level. And then you've got Malik Monk who more times than not is playing at a great, great level as well. So um, the, I think I think right now the proof is kind of in the pudding, but I don't know that we believe in the recipe all that much.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, last season, the Kings started 20 and 17 to their first 37. then they dropped to 20 and 18. So at 38 games, which the Kings will be at game 38 tomorrow, I believe, um, the kings are way ahead of where they were last year. way, way ahead. And that's saying something, because last year was a good season. They're pacing to have a tremendous season. And I, I don't know that, that they can keep this up while having these major problems um, at both the, the shooting guard and and the small forward position. But as long as you're getting productivity out of guys like Malik Monk, guys like Trey Lyles, who has been tremendous, like as long as you're getting that kind of like strength off of the bench, I think you have a shot. So, uh, I mean, I think the Kings are going to try to improve one or both of these positions over the coming weeks. Um, Like, I think that they're going to be active. We've heard the Siakam rumors. We've heard plenty of other things that may or may not ever come to fruition. I even know as we're recording this podcast, um, like there are some murmurs that that there might be something on the horizon here. We have no idea uh, as of right now until something happens. Uh, whether we hear that before everyone else does, or somebody else puts that out there, uh, it does feel like this king uh, King's front office is trying to be aggressive, trying to address some of these needs. And like, look, this team has holes. Like, there's no question this team has holes. You would like to see guys like Kevin Herder, who averaged 15.2 points per game last season, or uh, Harrison Barnes, who had right at 15 points per game last season, sort of find themselves and and get back in the fray. But at the same time. What we're seeing from Keegan Murray and De'Aaron Fox and Devonis Sabonis and Malik Monk on a nightly basis is pretty stellar. Like this team is like moving in the right direction, even if it doesn't feel good at certain times. Uh, Sean, Kings, let's start with the Detroit game just real quickly. Um, These are two bad teams that that the Kings just beat stacked up, uh, Detroit and Charlotte on back-to-backs. You would expect the Kings to beat both teams, but the way the detroit game started where they give up 47 points to one of the two the worst team in the nba a three win team but they give up like 47 points in the first quarter what what was going through your head while that's going on
2: yeah i mean the, the thing that went through my head was sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better you know you're mm-hmm. coming off of a pelicans game closing off a you know a two and two home stand in a game where you trailed mm-hmm. by 50 uh, and it Eesh. resulted in a 33 point loss to the Pelicans. Again, a team that has had their number four times this season, two 30-point losses, 133, 136. Um, just 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 really kinda have a little bit of ownership there. Um and then you go into Detroit and it's a 47 to 29 first quarter. And I'll be honest, James, at no point did I ever think they were gonna lose that game. And that yeah. had nothing to do, to be honest, it had nothing to do with just, you know, the Kings, but I look, you're looking at the, the you're looking at the Detroit Pistons in that game and the way they're shooting from three and the way they're playing. And you know, you're just like, you will not be able to sustain this. You, you are, you jumped out to this nice start. I remember I I actually watched the entire Celtics game where they gave the Celtics a big run for their money. the adage is true the the, the it, even for a three win team they do play hard it's just mm-hmm. you know they tend to falter and i think that's that really that 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 third quarter or that second quarter really kind of said everything you needed to know about the kings i mean to be able to come back and take a lead uh and, you know and be able to um go into halftime with the lead was Completely reassuring, but I think it might have been a little bit of a wake up call. And and the one thing i that that just stood out like a sore thumb to me in that game was seeing the way Demontis Sabonis reacted to his team. I mean, you're seeing him, you know, dunk and scream and holler, doing anything he can to just get them to wake the hell up, uh, because they go on that 39-18 run in that second quarter, and every single quarter that from there on, they're they're a 30 point quarter. Um, and you even look at that fourth quarter, they held the Pistons to just 15 points. So that second half, you held the, 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 the Pistons to under what you gave up in that first quarter. And again, it was alarming and I, I guess, but again, I never thought the Kings would lose that game, but it, but again, it was just kind of speaks to if the Kings just don't have their heart into it, if they don't have their, you know, give a damn, then, Any team is capable of of you know making going on this big run, and a lot of times when you go on this big run, the Kings don't really have much fight sometimes to come back from it. And uh, fortunately, Sacramento did. And you were playing a team like Detroit, and then you get your uh, you're able to close out that game, go to Charlotte, and get your revenge on that team as well.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed.
1: Alright, so hidden within that game, I, I mean, we'll get to Demona Simonis in a minute, because specifically the Detroit game. Um, you just watched a guy who, who the way I described it um, on the radio uh, was, it, it reminded me of, I know Sean will get this, reminded me of Goonies when um, they're trying you to escape the ship. And <laughs> And Sloth sits there and holds the rock up so all the kids can climb between his legs and get out to freedom. And then, you know, Sloth later escapes, but that moment where he's holding up a rock and letting everybody else, like, scurry out the door. And that's what it looked like to me, is one dude just trying to give you a shot. Like, if you're going to give a 47 in the first quarter, you can't score, like, 22, because then it's over. Like, the way that... He just kept playing and saying, someone will come in and help us. Someone will help me. Someone will find a way to, to get active. It was like a really, really strong moment for me where I think Sabonis was a tremendous leader on the court. And then what we saw was the starters went out. Malik Monk comes in along with Sabonis and Monk had that same exact mentality. All of a sudden he's playing hard and he's, like setting guys up and running at breakneck speed. And then next thing you know, Keegan Murray comes in the game and, and realizes, oh, this is a team with Jaden Ivey, that guy that everyone celebrated as a top four pick, even though he was the fifth pick and I was, a, and Keegan was a fourth pick. And they took all these pictures with the top four picks and Keegan wasn't there. And then Keegan starts going. And so you start I to see about this. about that, thing. by the way. I forgot yeah. all
2: about that. That's funny.
1: Or the night that they that he's drafted, that the picture they used was Chris and not Keegan. Yeah, sure. uh, a little disrespected on on draft night, and I think with Keegan, like stepping into that role, it was like, okay, wait a sec, that's that dude. I'm not gonna let this happen, and he starts plugging away, and then like it all kind of snowballs. But I think the the question I was gonna ask of you was, we've watched De'Aaron Fox here, you know, do some amazing things in the first half of the season, but it started last week. It started with the Orlando game where he didn't look right. And then the Toronto game, he was okay. But again, you get to the Pelicans game and he scores three points. You, you get to the Detroit game. He finds a way to score 26 points, but let's be honest. He was like the, the third or fourth option in that game. I would say the fourth option of who played well and who didn't. Uh, he also has that moment. Isn't it on the breakaway where he throws the ball straight up in the air? When he's about think to talk,
2: you think he'll get on Shaq and the fool for that?
1: Well, I think he deserves to be.
2: Yeah, that was that was, that was pretty incredible.
1: It kind of looked like like he was Space Jammed, like somebody just like pulled the basketball player out of him for a few minutes. Anyway, he he finishes that up with with nineteen points against Charlotte, and I thought the Charlotte game is the first time we see him start to come around, where he actually looks a lot more like himself. So I I don't want to heap a bunch of negativity on the guy because he's basically carried the team all season long on the scoring end, but 17 points per game over his last five uh, He's shooting 41% from the field. He's shooting 34.6 from three. He's actually only shooting 5.2 attempts per game from three. He's not getting to the free throw line, only 2.2 2 free throw attempts per game. This just looks like a player who wore himself out. Is that what you're seeing? Uh,
2: well, yeah, I can see how someone would come to that. I think I think he's dealing with a couple things. I mean, you know, we've seen him kind of grab the wrist a few times during that homestand. Um, you know, the hip. I know, the yeah, twice on the hip. He 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 also tends to walk a little like a like a basketball player. You know, I, I don't like to call it an old man or anything because a lot of basketball players you see him walk. They're just kind of like got a little straight, bit of a straight leg. Yeah, or just a little bit of a stride to him where it's just like, Oh, you could tell something's bothering him. Um, you have to kind of get the those joints, you know, lubricated a bit when and they mm-hmm. get going and you know, I I, I don't I, I think it's certainly manageable. I think Fox has shown a, a tremendous toughness since his time in Sacramento. He doesn't like to use certainly last year was, was incredible. I mean he took um, I think I'm back there. So I think I glitched a little bit there, but Fox doesn't yeah, like to uh, use any of those. Fox doesn't like to use injuries as excuses. And last year you really saw that. Um, but anytime you ask him, it's, oh, I'm fine. You know, he's not, he he, he would play. Uh, there's a lot of times, there's not a lot of times, but there's been moments where, you know, the, the staff almost has to save him from himself a little bit to, to really kind of recalibrate and, and kind of get some, get some time to, to rest some things. But I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, banged up is probably more, um, what I, what I've seen from him. I did question, you know, do the Kings is, does success for the Kings look like him being a 30 point scorer? And I don't know that that's the best recipe for their success. I think we talked about that in the last podcast. Um, you know, certainly he's shown the ability to be that, be that guy, um, but I don't know if that's in their best interest. Um, You know, I agree. They, the usage of him is, is so incredibly high and it's not uh, just a usage.
1: It's the shots
2: the shot. Sure. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, you were we were used to seeing so often where it was fourth quarter Fox. Right. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing moments where, you know, we all want to see him keep the foot on the gas and, and do that thing. And he's doing it, but now it's almost to the point where like, oh shit is he doing it too much you know is it is it it too frequent does he need and so now you can kind of see where it's like all right yeah you could probably use some more help more of a consistent scoring presence from guys like Keegan Murray who's kind of been up and down um certainly as you pointed out these last two games he's been fantastic and and kind of found that stroke again but um you know how much do you rely on that how much do they need him to be that guy um especially if Malik Monk doesn't have a game where he's scoring. So um, this team has scoring all over the place. And I always shy away from like when people are worried about, Oh, Kevin Herter's not hitting shots or, you know, Harrison Barnes isn't scoring. His scoring is down or whatever. It's like, they've got scoring everywhere to where it to me, it's never really an issue, but the one guy I do tend to have a little concern for is, is De'Aaron. And, and that's, is, is Fox going to be that guy? Can he be that guy? And should he be that guy?
1: Hmm um
2: i like look and, I, and hold on can i say one more thing like yeah. no he should be that guy right he should i'm saying he, i just don't know if you should be i, I don't want to take away like yes he is that guy right he's the, yeah, he's yeah, the face yeah, of yeah. franchise he's that guy i just don't know if it's in his best interest to be the guy where you're having him score 30 points a game on average and, yeah. and having to rely on that
1: yeah i mean i think all of us could see a point where it's possible that the kings would be better as a team, if he was scoring twenty-eight and maybe two of his shots per game are are going to you know Keegan, or they're going to Harrison Barnes to try to get him going, or Kevin Herter to try to like smooth things out and figure out you know what's happening with Kevin Herter. But at the same time, like, look, if you're that if you are capable, why not? And yeah. and as long as it like truly isn't hurting the team, the team is really good. Like they're again nine games over five hundred. Um, is there room for improvement? Heck yeah. Uh, but to me, like, I think that there are going to be times throughout the season, and maybe it's once, maybe it's twice, where we see this five or six game st- uh, stretch where he just hits a wall, like physically and even mentally. I think the the Detroit game, the ball like shooting out of his hands, some of the turnovers he's had in the last week, they tell me that not only is he physically exhausted, but he might be a little mentally fatigued as well. And just he's not as sharp as he normally is, if that makes sense. And so I think he'll play right through it. And uh, and I would be surprised if he didn't try over the next like week and a half, two weeks, to get back up closer to thirty points a game. He's all the way down, I think, to twenty seven point nine as we're recording this pod on on Thursday. Um, but like, look, it's tough once you once you dip below thirty. Uh, that means that you know you got to put up thirty plus every single game to get back over it. And, uh, it's going to take a little while for him to recover. I think, um, you, you mentioned Keegan Murray in the last couple of games that he's had. We're we're waiting for the moment where Keegan can do that every night and, and be consistent because again, you had the 47 point game and the 25 point game right afterwards, but then you have these, these stretches where again, he just kind of disappears and, It's part of being a young player, so like I don't have any problems with who and what he is. He's averaging sixteen point two points. He's averaging five point five assists. I mean, rebounds. He's up to thirty seven point two percent from three after some real struggles. But like we're again, we're waiting for the ironing out of these these sort of dips that he has, and um, he's only had one bad game out of like his last five. Uh, where, you know, he's got 28 points, 18 and then eight and then 32 and 25. So he's been really good. Um, but before that, there was another stretch where it was five points, nine points and a couple of games at 10. Um, is this just a young player thing in your mind or, you know, do the Kings have to, you know, be cognizant that this is a young player and, you know, he's going to have the the highs and lows. Um, but, you know, it also points to maybe that he's not, a twenty-point per game scorer in the future—that he he might be something less than that.
2: Well, I think it remains to be seen. I think that to me, it's you know I, they've they've certainly got the confidence he'll be a a, a a a scorer in this league, and I think you know certainly they think he's going to have star potential, and, and I don't think they're wrong in that regard. But we the one thing we knew about Keegan Murray is he could score, he can shoot. Um, the the even if it is his second year, the, the thing that maybe concerns me most because there are games, as you mentioned, where he's going to struggle to shoot the ball and we've seen it a lot this year, but in those games, and this is, you know, maybe a little bit of comparison to Kevin Herter. we talked about how he tries to impact the game with his rebounding, maybe some assists, try to help out in other, other ways when he's on the court uh, if his shot isn't going down. And, and that's the one thing that's been a little bit alarming is for Keegan with his size and, and, certainly shown the ability to rebound those games where he's scoring. It feels like he impacts the game in other ways outside of scoring than he does in the games where, you know, he struggles to, 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 to shoot the ball. Um The minutes don't really dwindle. Like Mike Brown is still giving him a boatload Tons. of minutes, even yeah. in games where he, where he struggles. And that to me is the more concerning part is like, you don't show up in the rebounding category very often when, when he tends to have those games.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, again, if this, the the Kings have other players who are inconsistent like this. Absolutely. But they're veterans. And so when they're inconsistent, it's like, come on, you know, stop being inconsistent, you know, bring the same energy each and every night with Keegan. I I do think at the end of the day, like, we're going to see him slowly like ascend, like slowly climb. And I think we're seeing the beginning of a climb right now. Where again, he's all the way up to 16.2, but I would be surprised if he's not at over 17 points a game in another week or so, and then maybe even get himself up to 18 points per game by the end of the season. I think we're seeing like this slowly, we're seeing the outline of what is going to be a really, really good score. One of my concerns though is that he seems to be just fine doing, you know, having a big game against some bad teams and he needs to figure out how to do that against good teams as well. And sure, like he's had a couple of big games against good teams, but um, you know, again, the last two games were, you know, 25 points and 28 points and and all that stuff or or what do you have, 32. Um, these are bad teams and you should be doing that against bad teams. I need to see it each and every night and it's just going to be a slow prog- uh progression with him I think where he finally gets to that point, but I've been pretty happy about what I've seen from him uh, like again the they're slowly letting him take more and more. Uh, we've seen the like the fall away off of one leg, like the Dirk Nowitzki jumper at the top of the key. Um, we saw him like he's he's dunked the ball a lot more this season. I think he's at like 27 dunks on the season. Um, he had the the really nice couple of takes to the basket in this last game where he's using the floater, he's going off the glass, he's getting out in transition and beating guys down the court. So I, I think again, this guy's a limits, but uh like we have to be slightly patient um Sabonis so I also like
2: I've also liked by the way like I mean we've talked a lot of, over the you know course of the season so far about you know him making a leap defensively and you know, oh really yeah throwing up his bigger body at some of these smaller guards uh to try to kind of not only clog the lane but impede their their penetration and you know he's sneakily getting a lot of steals this year Uh, Like steals are Mm -hmm. way up. Uh, He said multiple games where some of there's like three steals in a game. So um, that, that certainly stands out and he should be definitely applauded for that effort at defensive end.
1: Yeah. He's at 1.2 steals per game. I think he's been really good defensively. And I'd also make the argument that the way he's playing uh, defensively, he's opened a door for the Kings where they can go shop for a three. They can go shop for a four Uh, They can even shop for a three, I mean a two in my book. Uh, Like it it just doesn't matter. His uh, uh, positional flexibility gives the Kings a lot of like leeway when they're going into trade talks. So if you want to go grab a power forward like Pascal Siakam or or one of these guys that we keep hearing, you know, whether it's Kyle Kuzma or, you know, that's fine. But if you also, you want to go look at, Uh, a small forward like an Andrew Wiggins and and push Keegan over to the four full time or have him stay at the four full time. I think you can do that. I even think that there's a way that if you were to get two much bigger players, that he could play the two because at at some point he decided that he could actually be, he can defend almost anybody and that it's always, that's a concern. It's it's not whether he can play offensive uh, offense as a shooting guard it's whether he can defend the two. And I think right now I'd have more faith in him defending a shooting guard and opposing shooting guard than any of their, their shooting guards or their small forts outside of him. I just think he's taken such a huge step uh, on that end of the court. Yeah. It's Uh, really
2: those, it's really those bigger players that tend to give him fits or someone who can, you know, on an, you get someone like a, you know, like a Jalen Brown or somebody like that. And just, Get right by you at the from a three four position, and um you've seen him get blown by at times. And it's it's interesting because a lot of the guards don't really have that that impact because of how big he is. He's somehow able to use his length to kind of impede them,
1: corral people. Yeah, yeah. Um You know, like we talk about this all the time, but I, I just it seems like every pod we needs to br- we need to bring it up. Devonis Sabonis is playing at. Like an incredible level, um, right now Sean's been asking him for to get over to get over twenty points a game for for two years, and here he is. He's at twenty point two. He's at twelve point seven rebounds, which I I believe still leads the league. It, oh yeah, he still leads the league in rebounding. Um, he's at seven point seven assists. He's twenty consecutive double doubles. He's up to nine triple doubles on the season, which is second only to. Uh, uh, Oh, Jokic! There Jokic, we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he's I, I just do want. I everything. almost.
2: I, I almost should take credit. Not not for the twenty point thing. I I I had a moment where I was talking to him about the triple doubles, and I was like, "Is that frustrating? Where you just did, like do? Has anyone tell you that you're you need one more rebound, oh, yeah. and you need an assist?" And, and he's just like, "No, it's one of those things where like you know, it, you know, I, I, he had so many of them that would just come up short, and he you know." Typically he's not doubles. a stat watcher doesn't doesn't give a damn right so um and then once i brought that up he went on that role of just like here's so many here's like seven in 10 games you know
1: so it's wild
2: yeah Yeah. it's 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 really incredible i mean it it, it's also weird to me james seeing how and maybe this was the fault of russell westbrook in a way because of if you remember his incredible run Mm -hmm. uh for a couple seasons where he you know, he was just shattering triple doubles and the, in the records that were kind of associated with that um, where, where people don't think of triple doubles the same way anymore. Like it's still, in my opinion, really incredible when a player can, can have that type of impact. And then if you can do it consistently, that's just mind But like, that's what, that's why you look back at a player like Oscar Robertson and you just go, wow. I mean, for, for as long as we did, and then you get to the, well, and, and he's, he predates both of us. I mean, we're not that old, yeah. but, um, but, but that's why we have him and speak of Oscar Robertson in such reverence and what he was able to do back then. And then you contrast that now where it's like, Oh, it's a triple double <laughs> where it, like now it's just eh, doesn't it's, have it's the double the gravitas that it probably should. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because people think that, statistically like some of it's hollow or you know especially the way Rajan Rondo was able to get assists like it wasn't it was almost like kind of frowned upon like if guys are hunting for assists or hunting for only that stat or maybe I don't know I think it should still have a gravitas about it and I don't think it's um given the proper respect if it will maybe that had, maybe that's the fault of someone like Russell Westbrook who you know just just corralled up all these triple doubles it's interesting to me
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally get where where you're going there, uh, Westbrook, and then Harden did it right afterwards. But Harden, then sure. you look at this season, and it's really only Jokic, Sabonis, and uh, Luka Doncic, and it was the same thing last year. And it's not like yeah. they're putting up forty something triple doubles in the season. Um, the double doubles, the twenty straight double doubles, and I think he's got a double double in, like all but two games this season. Like it's really impressive. But you know, so far on the season, just so people kind of grasp what's happening. Uh, total rebounds on the season, Damanis Sabonis leads with 469. Defensive rebounds, Demonis Sabonis leads with 345. Rebounds per game, 12.7. Leads all NBA players in rebounds per game. Uh, rebound, Yeah, rebounds per game. But then he's also 6th in the league in assists at 286 assists. He's 7 in assists per game at 7.7. Like, this dude is stuffing the stat sheet like nobody's business, And I swear people talk about the things he can't do and they refuse to talk about the things that he does do. And like, look, every player has a limitation. Uh, Even right now, he's shooting like 39% from three. Like everything that he's doing right now is spectacular. And it may not, his points per game may not stick over 20 per game. I think right now it's, it's part of the issue that De'Aaron Fox is kind of having like a downswing and they're waiting for guys like Kevin Herter or, or Harrison Barnes to like figure out what's happening to their games. Um but or, or like, someone to
2: walk through the door.
1: <laughs> or for someone to walk through the door, which I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think is a higher likelihood than um than either one of those guys figuring it out. Uh like I, I think it's it's more likely that they figure out a way out of town than they figure out a way to start being more productive as players. So yeah, I, I think it's interesting. We we've got all kinds of like ways that this team can improve now that you didn't think of before, because nobody had a bad game like this, a bad season like this last year where they just, you know, there was so much room for growth from individual players. Like I think last year, most of the Kings players tapped out on who they, who and what they could be this year. Again, like the Kevin Herter, uh, you know, Harrison Barnes, you know, even, uh, Chris Duarte's of the world, like they should have a lot more to offer than what we're getting than we're seeing right now, um, Sean. Uh, let's get to the business of basketball. Yeah, go. um, <laughs> we've got uh, the Kings are like in this weird moment where I think everybody in the league knows that they're trying to improve on the trade market, and like we've talked about who you wouldn't go after, we've talked about you know, some of the the players that you might like kick the tires on. But as we get this close, like how quickly do you think that they're going to make a deal here? And how much do they need to make a deal? Uh, even though they are nine games over, because it, it feels like there's just like some incompleteness to this roster.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of goes back to answering the question of, can they survive with the two guard spot kind of being this, this shaky thing? Because, you know, in order to make a deal, you need two to tango. Sometimes you need three or four to tango. Yeah. And, and, and to do you need to make a deal? No. You need to make the right deal. And, and that's, I think, where if you look at the landscape of what it would take. And I think oftentimes when, when fans and media try to make these, these trade scenarios, you do so by looking at the players that you don't value as much moving those players along with a pick and then turning it into a diamond or something that's really going to help you. And the reality is that's just not that realistic. Yeah, not all trades
1: are are worked out that way.
2: So to to find something that you're going to be able to do this swing for the fences type move that also is like the no-brainer, this guy helps you so much um, and turns you into that next caliber type of team um which is the type of move in my opinion that they need to make but how do you what do you what What does that come at the expense of so i think there's some look they're going to be super aggressive like they are every single year this this front office has shown the ability to want to have conversations and, and keep options open and try to better their team but sometimes the biggest moves you make are the ones you don't and I think last year you saw that uh, with with you know obviously they made the tertiary move with Kessler Edwards, um, you know they've certainly you've seen guys come in like a Juan Toscano-Anderson um, who was waived before his contract was guaranteed. Now you've got him on a ten day and you're seeing him contribute on this road trip. Um, there's they're gonna you know look under every stone and 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 see what they can do for sure to try to better this team, but um can they can they pull off a move? I, I I think there are moves out there to be made for sure, um, but I just don't know that it's gonna have the I don't think it's gonna be that swing for the fences type move uh to be that type of piece that they really need. And and quite honestly, that's okay. I mean you look at this, like this team and their core and the way they're they're set up, it's like, okay, this is this is technically year Year two, but really year three, in a sense of the the way the front office is tinkering with this team and putting the proper pieces in place. It's year two under Mike Brown, and it's year two under the success that they've enjoyed. But it really started before that. and i I, I just think that this is a trade deadline where I'm expecting a lot of movement to be made. and I'm expecting the kings to be involved very, very much. So I just question whether or not they can really truly land that piece that um that they that they sorely need.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Like when you watch a player all the time, like we watch Harrison Barnes play every game. I think like you instantly think, okay, he's having a horrible season. And why would someone want to trade with trade for him? He's 31 years old. He's got two more years. But then you you go back and you look at the track record of Harrison Barnes. You look that he's not a guy who's out of shape. He's not a guy who looks like his body's breaking down. He's a guy who looks like he's really taken a step down on the pecking order. and so he still might have value to other teams where he doesn't have as much value uh, to you at this point. And so I think that that's one way that like you you have to look at these trades. I also think that like Sean to your point, sometimes the trades that you don't make, like that's the biggest thing that you did. And like to be honest with you, like the Pascal Siakam thing, if I'm the Kings, I'm kind of sighing a deep breath right now. Like if he really wants max money. And that's a contract just so, so people know it's, if he's your own free agent and he wants a full max, you're looking at five years and like $250 million. And so there's a point where he would be making $60 million a year. And at that same point, you're going to have De'Aaron Fox who's making 60 million and you're going to have Demonis Sabonis who's making 56 and you're going to have Keegan Murray's making 30 million like I already blew through the salary cap and now you're wondering how deep into the luxury tax you're, you're going to go. Right. And so while Sean and I both have been on record saying, Hey, yeah, Pascal Siakam, bring him on board. Like if that's what he wants and, and, you know, he doesn't want to sign in Sacramento, but even if he did, if he's looking for a full max money deal, that's a really, really tough pill to swallow. And that's where I think, you know, you have to be cautious with how you spend your money. You have to, you have to measure two players against each other and say, okay, like while Pascal Siakam is a better player than Kyle Kuzma, like number one, I'm not going to have to pay as much for Kyle Kuzma up front. Number two, he's on a declining scale contract. And there's a point where Kyle Kuzma could be making close to a third of what Pascal Siakam would make under an extension. And I would prefer a guy that might be a little bit less, but that makes a third, the money so I can put that money into other positions and so I, I think it's a really complex game that the Kings are playing, and it's not as easy as again just drum, jumping on a trade machine and saying, you know, this is who I got, this is who you got, and let's uh, let's do this. It's you know you got to look at motivations, you got to look at you know where teams are at in their build or whether they're they're dissolving. You know, I, I think there are deals out there. We've seen it in the past the Kings grabbed Harrison Barnes for Justin Jackson and. Uh, Zach Randolph's expiring contract, who hadn't even played, they told him, Don't even, you don't even need to come to the building. We're okay. Uh, so there are deals out there like that, but you got to find them, you got to mine for them, and the players got to fit with what you're doing. Uh, and you have to be patient because sometimes those things don't come up until the last second. So, anyway, that's a long way of saying, like, I don't know what they're going to do, but being aggressive, uh, I I think is okay.
2: I think, and I've we've talked about it in previous shows, like, Look, if you're going to be a big boy in this league, luxury tax is almost a necessity. And I, I brought it up um, because I, I had somebody off air talk to me about like how common are these teams that are paying luxury tax. And currently, there are 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 10. And we'll go from 10 to one the Los Angeles Lakers, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Denver Nuggets, the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks. The Phoenix Suns, the LA Clippers, and the Golden State Warriors. Mm. So, how many losers do you see in there?
1: One, I and mean, it's the one that's paying the most, and they're the, also the one with four rings.
2: I was gonna say, and they just recently won a championship two <laughs> so, years ago. Like, yeah. And you look at it. You look in like the past few years. Like, okay, Milwaukee championship, right? Warriors dynasty, Heat. Um, has been in the NBA finals. Celtics have been Again, in the NBA I, finals. Yeah. Right. Denver just won a championship. Sixers in the conversation. Pelicans are a little bit new to it and the Lakers won the bubble year and they just won the in-season <laughs> tournament. So like if you want to be you have to pay luxury tax. And so you look at what your luxury tax you know your 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 tax bill is. You know like for the Lakers at 10th, it's 3.1 million. Pelicans in fourth, 4.4 4 million. You jump up to seven where the nuggets are at. Their tax bill, mind you, 22.7 million. Let's jump up to top five. Celtics, 39.1 million. Bucks, 57.7 million. Uh Keep above, going for up. some reason. Yeah, for some reason the Suns actually have a smaller tax bill for some, for whatever reason. I can't remember why that is. Uh they, they're in third. They have a the luxury tax space is negative 21.5, but their tax bill is $7 million less than number four, Milwaukee, even though the Suns are in number three. So they're at $50 million, $50.6 million. Then it's a whopping, now you jump almost $100 million to the top two. The Clippers are at $142 million, and then the Warriors at $186 million. So if Sean, you want to know where the Sacramento Kings fall and all that? They are 22nd. They are don't have a luxury tax bill. They have eighteen million dollars in surplus from the tax at a at a whopping what is it? They're uh, they they're, got paid. The, yeah, the luxury tax payroll is one hundred and forty seven million compared okay, to so, that of like the Warriors, who's at a two hundred and six, <laughs> almost two hundred and three million.
1: Yeah, So, Sean, uh, Kyle, and I on the Insiders on ESPN thirteen twenty today, we discussed. I know this is just, it was just for sake of a discussion. Um, Would the Kings and Warriors ever make a trade of Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell for Moses Moody and, um, and Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins, Right. And I think right away, everyone's like, Oh, well, Kings fans are like, yuck. I'm not sure about Andrew Wiggins, but sure. We'll take Moses Moody and Warriors fans are like, number one, we don't want Harrison Barnes back. And number two, Davion Mitchell's you know we don't want him at all right do you know how much money that would save the Golden State Warriors that trade
2: oh yeah I mean it's I don't know the exact number but with the luxury tax it's crazy
1: yeah it's beyond crazy so I reached out to Eric Pincus who is a salary cap genius right Eric Pincus I said hey the Warriors are 41 to 42 million over the luxury tax um, how much would it be? Because the difference between those two deals, the the deal works as far as the NBA uh, trade structure, right? Um, but the Warriors would save six point one million dollars in uh, off of their salary, and you're like, okay, well, that doesn't seem like it would be that much. Their tax bill would go from one eighty six to forty seven point nine million they would drop 38 million dollars off their tax bill if they made that move. And if you don't think the Warriors would consider that deal, I mean, again, I'm not if I'm the Kings, I'm not sure that I'm considering taking three more years of Wiggins with the final year being 30 million bucks. But I'm going to consider it if you think Moses Moody is as good as some people think Moses Moody is. So I would I would take on a young player and I would take on a a bloated contract in order to take on a young player if I thought it might make sense for me down the road. And I think the Warriors have to look at it and go, okay, we could, we could save how much, because it's not just a 38 million, it's the 6 million in salary you would save as well. So you're looking at them saving like $44 million by making that trade for a team Mm -hmm. that's three games under 500. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, well, and, and that's are... just
2: for this, that's just for this season, like ri- rattling off all those numbers. And with that in mind, like you're looking at the Warriors at $202 million or whatever I just said a minute ago, like again, or $186 million tax bill. Yeah. That is just for this season.
1: Well, <laughs> Sean, know? and not only that, but that's, that's just their tax bill. That's not their salary. Their salary is 211 million bucks. Their salary and tax bill is almost four hundred million dollars. So would they consider right. shaving thirty? I mean, 46 million, 44 million off that? Uh, yes, yes, they would. Yes, like I'm not saying they're going to give you a Kaminga, but they certainly like okay. Well, Most Moody, Moody's a nice player, but if he can get us out from underneath some of this debt, then. Eh, we might consider it. So, well, so yeah, and, it,
2: and it's it's worth it to a team like that when you're trying to preserve a dynasty and trying to remain competitive and still, you know, be in contention for the fight. But when you're looking at them, you know, struggling the way they are and and the writings on the wall, you know, I don't I don't care if they're about to get Draymond Green back. Like, I don't think you're flipping a switch all of a sudden to become this elite team again, mm-hmm. and you're paying this team as if they're an elite team. So. Yeah. I mean, everyone knew this was going to be kind of, I think last year, that's why we kind of talked about your, the, the, the way, you know, the golden state warriors will not be the way you know the golden state warriors last year or this, this coming year. And that was this season. Um, Bob Myers being really the piece we were talking about being gone and they're going to have to make tough decisions. You see what's happening to clay Thompson, which by the way, I don't know if you had a chance to see, he had a very uh, he's had, he's been a very polarizing character this season uh, for that team and around the league and, seeing some of the things he said. And obviously he's due a contract at the end of the year that he may not get uh, certainly not a max contract that he probably thought he was going to get. Uh, He's just not the player he used to be, and he won't be paid as such. And so him having that, that moment recently, it was just about a week ago or so where he's talking about having a long conversation with Steve Kerr and how it's affected his game and how he has to realize the type of player he is and try to set a good example for the up and coming players that he's, you know, a a different player than he once was. And not that he can't still be a very impactful player, but it's really affected him from a mental standpoint and he needs to be a good teammate. And that was a great exchange. It was great hearing him talk about it was incredible.
1: Yeah. But then he turns around and today talks about how he doesn't care about fans booing and, like I, he really is struggling with like yeah. who he is as a basketball player and where he's going and like look that's like every every great dynasty it dies out it does and and so they're just one of many many NBA dynasties that have died out and it's tough to watch cuz you're you're seeing sort of the ends of it um, and their struggle this whole two timeline thing at this point there's zero timeline that's what's happened. They went from like trying to figure out two timelines to they don't have a timeline at all anymore. You know, the young players that they're talking about um, again, uh, like Pajemski and, and um, why am I trace Jackson Davis? Mm -hmm. There's a perfectly fine players, but trace Jackson Davis was a late second round pick. Uh, Like Pajemski is, isn't a lottery pick. Like these aren't players that you know, you're going to be able to build your franchise around just like, Jordan Poole. You didn't know if you're going to be able to build your franchise around him. So I think it's really interesting to watch sort of the back end. and Bob Myers becomes like the most brilliant man of all time. Cause not only did Bob Myers not draft all those players, he did not assemble fully assemble this team. That was Larry Riley. He didn't draft clay. He didn't draft Steph. He didn't draft Draymond. That was all done before he got there. But before the whole thing falls apart, he's like, eh, I'm out of here. And now he's watching the thing like Steve Kerr is the guy who's taken the hit. Now, Steve Kerr is the guy who's been pushed out in front and like, oh, what's happening here? And then you got Mike Dunleavy, who just in all honesty, he doesn't have ties to all these guys like like Bob Myers did. And so he's going to do what he's got to do that might be best for him. It's like try to save what's happening here. And um, yeah, it's just it's interesting to watch the fall of a dynasty um, and you know, who knows, maybe they do find lightning in a bottle and they make one more run or something, but, uh, it's, it's tough to, to see just like the salary structure, everything else, an owner that's willing to pay $186 million, just in luxury tax, $400 million overall. He's paying almost three times what Vivek Ronadive is paying for the same first club.
2: Yeah. And he's not even yeah, at this moment, not even in the play on playing tournament.
1: Yeah. And if you if factor in the, the 147, but then would we say 12 million or 18 million in luxury tax that the, that the Kings got back that drops their salary to like 130. He literally is paying three times the amount for uh, like, like is uh, for the, the Warriors. So pretty, pretty incredible um, how this is uh, going to play out, but um, yeah, it's wild. This is, trade season is about uh, we'll, we'll keep covering trades and everything else. Uh, Sean, we'll make this our, our final thoughts. Let's just have a discussion. You, you just did an interview um, and it's not an easy one. And it's something Ugh. that like I, I've known has been coming for a little while because I have discussions, uh, but go ahead and, and let's just kind of, let's have a conversation here. That's not an easy one.
2: No, it's not an easy one at all. Um, and it was tough, you know, earlier this week, really, yesterday I guess is when some pictures that kind of circulated with uh uh King's Legend you know fan favorite and Scott Pollard who's um in need of a heart transplant and he's you know kind of kept a little bit of it private I think for the most part up until really this week when he kind of put it out on social media and it was kind of had a weird message behind it too and almost having to you know people maybe maybe insinuating that he's doesn't really have these struggles that he's going through um but yeah three years ago um diagnosed with like a heart disease and he's gone kind of gone through various steps of trying to rectify that and ultimately needing a heart transplant and that's not easy it's not like you know james or i needing a heart transplant you're talking about a guy who's almost seven foot tall Mm. and the likelihood of finding that is is ultimately rare and of course the ultimately of the, the the likelihood of finding it is is me is a grim reality that it means someone has to die in order for him to get it. So it's a it's a it's a real troubling thing. It's a it's a heavy conversation to have and he he was uh, kind enough to to join me earlier this morning to uh, kind of talk about what he's been going through, some of the support he's received and his ultimate message, which is just to you know encourage people to to you know become organ donors. And It's uh, it was just it was interesting catching up with him because for a player who showed and played with a ton of heart, um, and here he is needing a new one, uh, kind of is just unbelievable. And uh, I think if anyone can go through it, it's him—a very resilient person who um likes adverse situations and um, um. can you know people, he's a gritty guy man it's a people, the people that the stuff that people rooted for him on the court for and it's it's it, it's fun to see the outpouring of support on social media of people who reached out to him and he's certainly seen it and interacted with a few and um you, you know people who rooted for him on the court are now able to kind of root for him off the court and he's now able to kind of be an inspiration to a lot of people that may not have known who he was i mean you think about it james it's he played in those early two thousands, you know, spent five of his, uh, 11 NBA seasons in Sacramento. He's now 48 years old. It's far too young for someone to have to kind of go through something like this. And, uh, there, he was talking about how there's someone in his neighborhood who, who now had, who, who went through what he did and, um, kind they're now kind of close as a result of what that person went through. And ultimately probably would have never crossed paths with the guy had he not you know, had that experience of needing, uh, an organ transplant. So not an easy conversation to have kind of an emotional one. And I think once I released the interview later tonight, or if anyone has had a chance to see him speak recently, it's not the Scott Pollard that you, uh, you're used to seeing the jovial personality. It's very subdued, almost like he's kind of talking in a very humble, or s- s- quiet, quiet, somber tone, because, you know, maybe he's not trying to make a lot of noise, but it's, speaking actually exhausts him you know we have a a long conversation where he'll have to take these long pauses and to take a deep breath and then continue on and it's it it wasn't easy man I, i cover sports for a reason and uh you know there's a lot of people who do what we do in news and you know they have to talk about heavy subjects all the time i don't like having to do that and so he was gracious enough to do it um i think it's an interview that Kings fans should probably hear because they're so tied to the players and those players always resonate with, with fans or such that that connection between players and fans in this town. So um, yeah, what he's going through is uh, really tough.
1: Yeah. So I've known Scott for a, uh, quite a while. Um, uh, like he's, he's come on the podcast a couple of times. Um, I have a interview that's sitting in the can from years ago where I was going to do a, a a 2002 documentary and he came in and and uh talked um and i'll be honest uh we were gonna have scott pollard on uh, a happy hour and i had reached out to him and then eventually he got back to me uh and just said hey look i can't i can't talk for that long um i i really you know i'm going through it so i've known about his heart problems for a while his father passed away uh, at a at a relatively young age, like in his fifties, um, from a heart attack, and uh, and so it's something that I, I think is there in the family's like history, and uh, he's been struggling for a while. And I, I'd also say there's something you know. Um, Scott went on Survivor, and again we had him on the pod and talked about Survivor and all that stuff, uh, like a while back, and just this amazing adventure, but. He was turned into a villain on Survivor, and partially it's because, you know, it's his personality—big and gregarious. But uh, there was some scenes where uh, it it looked like he was bullying someone, and the production crew really focused on that, as opposed to the hundreds of hours of footage they had of, you know, him being a provider and taking care of that same person, and all of these other situations where um you know he's actually a really really good person on uh, on some of these scenes um and it really it it hurt him where he was confused by just the way he was portrayed and then the way he the reaction after the fact and so i don't know that like his last couple of years have been like the finest unfortunately for him and it's just you know it's a bummer so uh hopefully something happens here a, a miracle happens for him and um, it brings up, you know, like the King's old equipment manager, uh, uh, D wonder Wilson, yeah. Dwayne Wilson, who's absolutely incredible. Uh, he just went through this a couple of years ago. Um, he's, he's fought through and he had a stroke when he was in his twenties, early twenties, and it damaged his heart. And eventually he had to have a heart transplant. And now, uh, they just did this beautiful video on him. Uh, you know, working at a blood bank and giving back um so you know like thoughts and prayers out to scott and his family it's not easy uh you know he's a good dude um you know not all of us are perfect not all of us make the uh, have a perfect straight line all the way through like your career and everything else uh so but i think king's fans should you know like say a prayer for the dude he's he's struggling it's not been an easy go um yeah is that is that all of our is that our final thoughts sean
2: yeah. It's a, it's a tough way to end there on a little somber note, but um, you know, hopefully there's an uplifting, um, you know, kind of conclusion to it at some point, but I will say this um, there is, cause I, I ended the interview on a really um, kind of a positive note for him is uh, his wife, Dawn, who by the way, was battling breast cancer um, years ago, and she was able to overcome that. And um, it's kind of been an inspiration in her own way. But aside from that, their son Ozzy is like a D1 football recruit that uh, is going to be stepping into his uh, senior year in high school in the Indiana area. They live outside of Indianapolis. And so he's got a few offers on the table. He's a tight end, he could probably be a defensive end and uh, just a a guy that is such a a rallying point for that family who's been through some, you know, pretty tough times off the, you know, just with the health issues and things, but, uh, Ozzy is out here, uh, making some, some big strides in, in his own way. And so seeing him kind of see what lies ahead for his college football future would, be a, will be a lot of fun to kind of keep tabs on.
1: All right. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for sticking around all this time, Sean and I, I uh, love doing these podcasts and hanging out with everybody um we're at almost a, an hour and 10 minutes in uh, and um we did not have any breaking news while we we're on the podcast but uh, i would say be ready because it seems like things are bubbling behind the surface and um like something could go crazy at any moment with this Sacramento kings team they're going to be active they're going to try to make some adjustments here they're going to try to get better here at the trade deadline and I would not be surprised if we see some action here in the coming days. Um, so thanks for tuning in to the Kingsbeat podcast. We'll have a off the record with the Kingsbeat virtual happy hour coming up very soon. Um, make sure to Lies. give us a, a thumbs Just up. Just lying. Just and continue to lying. lie to people. I'm not. Like, we're going to do a live one. I haven't been able to get a live one. I believe. Sean, you know as well as I do. Like, last week, I, I think I worked 70 hours. And
2: Where's that I, line? Where's the violin? <laughs> yeah. Like
1: I think that's where I was at. Like, I, I think it was 70 plus. And like, so sometimes you, you love to have everything just line up and we get it all done. But sometimes we're just way too busy to, to take care of everything. So uh we will have one of those coming up. Um Outside of that, make sure to jump on board with the Kings beat. Give us a thumbs up, uh subscribe to the channel, jump on board with prize picks. Hey, I'm having a great time doing it. I won. Yes. Win. that's amazing. A win. It is amazing because I am epically bad, aren't I, Sean? It, it, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean I, bad. I, I,
2: I keep telling you I want to see what your picks would look like with other NBA teams because um you you haven't nailed it when it comes to the kings, but I would like to maybe see how you fare if you were betting on a game that you weren't or excuse me, picking picking uh, uh players on a team that, that possibly you weren't watching or you know so locked into.
1: I'm much better at nfl and i've right. done i've done pretty well at nfl so i should probably stick there but hey it, you don't show your
2: of, nfl picks i want to see those picks put those out of what there.
1: we're doing yeah it's part <laughs> of what we're doing here uh okay that's gonna do it for this edition of the king's beat podcast brendan will be back next week uh we'll have more content for you uh keep your ears open things are are happening uh so get ready for craziness Um, and uh, it should be an interesting couple of weeks in Kingsland so for Fox 40 Sean Cunningham I am James Hamm, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings beat see you very soon